0: Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. All right, we ready? If I, uh, if I don't know you, um, my name's Sean, I'm the lead pastor, teach pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Redemption Church is nine congregations, but we're one church, and uh, um, yeah, I'm excited you're here. Each congregation is elder-led, lead pastor-led. You might have some questions about that. I won't actually be able to be in the lobby today because there's some things that are going on, but the elders, some of the other elders will be over there. They can answer any questions that you might have. Um, so I'm going to jump right in and without, uh, going completely through Ephesians, uh, as I normally do up front. Um, and if you're new, that's going to be helpful. I'm going to do that about halfway through. So if you are new, this is your first time. I'm glad you're here. Um, I'll, I'll back us up and get us to how we got where we are in Ephesians right now, but let's just call some things as they are. Um, the, the text that we're covering today honestly is really simple on paper, I mean, if we think through imperatives and commands, it's, it, there's not a lot of, like, exegetical complications or hoops to jump through. It's not really that crazy. I mean, we, we would look at certain other imperatives, commands, and go, this is what it is, so do it. And no one's going, like, okay, well, this and this and this, and so what about this? There are a crazy amount of opinions and ways to go about this, and so... Um, What I actually want to do before we get to our text is um, give us some uh, preface a little bit, and and I'll do that in a second. Then, after our preface, before we get to our text, I know this sounds like a lot, but you gotta give me grace, and I'll explain why here in a second. After our preface, uh, I wanna go through some assumptions that I'm bringing to the text, because I think a lot of us just go, why don't you just teach the Bible? Well, the problem with just teaching the Bible is Mormons say they just teach the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses say they just teach the Bible. There is a worldview. There is a um, translation you choose to use. There is an interpretation method that you're bringing to the text. And so I want to explain a little bit of what I'm bringing to this text. And then you can maybe argue with the foundation of that. But I'll explain how I got there. And then from there, so we're going to start with a preface. We're going to start with some assumptions that we're bringing to the text. And then I want to give the context of what our text is in Ephesians 5 here. And then eventually the text. Now, it sounds like a lot, but my goal is honestly to um, explain a lot of things that have been explained away in this verse. So here's uh, where I want to start. I'm going to do my best to stick to my notes. I know I'm not very good at that, but um, I I have four things I want to say up front as a preface before we break down what does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband um, as unto the Lord. What does that mean? How do we process that? The first one is this. My concern from the jump is not what the world thinks. I need you to hear that. I know that predominantly within inner city culture, within suburbia, what is going to put in front of you today will be seen as oppressive. What is going to be put in front of you will be seen as domineering, old-fashioned, whatever it is. My concern is not what the world thinks about this. And hear me, I'll go a step further. I'm not even really that concerned about what other churches say this text says. Now, that's not to say that I'm removing myself from the conversation. I want to learn and I want to be able to process with them how they see what they see in the text. But at the end of the day, here's what I need you to know. Here's the motivating factor about breaking down Ephesians 5 here. One day... I will stand before Jesus Christ as a teacher of the Bible, according to James truth, a higher standard to go I mean, you taught people what the Bible was. And here's what I want to be able to say. I honestly did the most amount of homework I can do. I did the exegetical work. I listened to people before me. I tried to gather as much information. I wasn't lazy and I taught as faithfully as I could. I just wanted your word to be accurate. I want to be able to do that. That is, is what's motivating me, okay? Number two, and it's kind of a, a, a parallel, it could be 1B. Um, we have to be mindful of the fact that Christianity will always go up and down on the liberal and conservative uh, a wagon. It's always going to be something. So very early on, Christianity is seen as this very liberal religion. In that, there's a structure within Judaism. And Christ is coming, he's seen as a drunkard, a glutton. He's hanging out with sinners. He's breaking all these structural man traditions. And he's seen as this liberal figure co- according to them, Right? But today, so the gospel's rejected because it's like, dude, the Jews have want nothing to do with this. Today, Christianity is seen as this backwoods conservative movement that it's like, this is crazy. So hear me, our concern is not how we're going to be classified in this. And that goes back to what I said. Whether it's accepted by the world or not accepted by the world, that is not our concern. Our concern is to be faithful to the text, So lead me to the third thing. Um, I want to do as best I can this morning to explain what submission to your husbands is, not only what it is not. Too often, um, I find myself reading or hearing everything that submission is not, and we will talk about that. There are some crazy, heinous, horrible stories that some of you are coming in that have seen this text turned in all kinds of wrong ways. But I have found the most fruits... In relationships, within marriage, is put in front of people, the, the way that we can see this the best way, is showing what real money looks like. Instead of constantly identifying the counterfeits and saying, this is what it's not, this is what it's not, I want to talk about what it is, okay? And lastly, um, I want to identify a certain group of people in here, and that is the singles. So if you're single, raise your hand real quick. This is your opportunity. Men, women, look around. This is, no, what, okay, you put them down real quick. I gave you an opportunity. <laughs> Marshall, your hand better been up. I'm telling you. so there. There's something that needs to be said to the singles, because here's the reality. There are two groups of singles in this uh, room right now. There are those who want to be married and those who do not want to be married and are equally uh, uh, fine. And so here's what I want to say. First, to those of you who are not married but desire to be married, I would encourage you to see this as someone else's game film. Like to look at this, we're using that sports analogy, to recognize that right now you're not in the marriage game. And as you're playing backup, you get to watch someone else play, you get to learn from their mistakes, you get to hear the text now, and backlog all that's there, because that day will come. And in the same way that I was not raised in a Christian home, I was not taught how to raise good children, much less godly children, I had to watch the, the guys who were discipling me, who were loving their wives well, who were disciplining their children, encouraging their children, and going, oh, I see. Oh, wow, this is crazy. Watching someone get uh, spanked their child for the first time was not how I was spanked, right? And going, oh, that's how it's done. I would encourage you, if you plan to get married, I understand you're going to hear these imperatives and go, well, that's not for me. But if you plan to get married, um, one day they will be. And so I hope to encourage the future you and some of these things. Which is, to the second person, I want to say this— if you don't desire to get married, you have chosen a life of celibacy for whatever the reason, and you even feel like it's kind of frustrating um, because the reality is the American church has made an idol out of family and marriage, and you read 1 Corinthians 7 and you go, it seems like he's encouraging us not to be married. Let me say this. Um, if you have no desire to be married and you're hearing this passage, marriage is a institution that God has given us right now, but one day will be done away with. And the real thing will come. And we're going to talk about that. So you do not need to be married to bring glory to God. As a matter of fact, by not, bringing, by not being married, you can and should and hopefully will bring glory to God in a way that we as married folk can't. So we do not need marriage to bring glory to God. Let me encourage you with that. And I know, and I almost want to repent on behalf of the American church of how much we've made an idol of marriage. So, so when are you going to get married? When are you getting married? As if you are not fully saved, filled with the Spirit, until you're married. Right? And I, I just want to squash that and say, if you have chosen a life of celibacy, man, may God be with you. Recognize that you are bringing glory to God all the same. So those are my prefaces that, that I want to put in front of you. I hope they're helpful as we go into some of this. So... Here's the second. I said first we're going to go with preface. Now, here's my assumptions. Here's my assumptions as we read a passage in Ephesians 5 like it like it is. Uh, and there's two things that I need to put in front of you. The first thing is this. Men and women are equal. Men and women are equal. I mean, in 1 Peter 3, it says we are fellow heirs to the grace of life. We will walk arm in arm together to meet Jesus, not front to back. Candace doesn't need a secret name given to me to bring her into the kingdom of God. None of that garbage. We are equal. We are equal. Unfortunately, we use that term a lot and we don't even know what it means. So here's what I'm going to do. As I go through explaining these things, I'm going to root everything that I'm talking about in the creation account. And I'm going to do it because I see that's what Jesus does and that's what Paul does. So there's a lot of texts that we can use and I'll reference some of them. But the reality is I want to root some of this in the creation account. So let me explain what I mean by equal. I just have a couple things here that I think are, are worth noting. First off is this. We are equal in personhood. Meaning, um, just because on average, men are stronger than women does not make men better than women. Just because on average, women are smarter than men, according to Forbes, which is probably ran by women, but regardless, okay? (laughs) Women are smarter than men does not mean women are better than men. Whether they shave their legs, shave their face, hear me, it does not matter. We are equal in personhood. Paul has been doing his best to remind us that we are one new man. He's not going to divide this out and parse out and suddenly go, "Okay, now men are different and uh, men are different and better than women are different and better." None of that nonsense. We are equal in personhood. Number two, we are equal in dignity. That every and this, these are obvious things, but I want to be clear in my definitions. What what Charles Manson should be um, given. Or should have been given, or Hitler, or the most heinous criminal, or any crazy figure you can think of, as you process that human being, they are in the image of God. And male and female, no matter where you are in that spectrum, they are equal in dignity. Number three, um, they are equal in wanting and should be giving mutual respect. So we process, and again, we're going to get into this, um, almost as if women, wives specifically, should respect their husbands more than husbands should respect their wife. Now, my job is not to break down the husband's role. We're going to talk briefly about the husbands at the end because the text demands it. But John's going to cover husbands next week. But let me just say this from the jump. Men and women, husbands and wives, there is mutual respect. Mutual respect. We're equal in giving and receiving respect. And then the last one, which I think is beautiful, um, we are equal in our destiny, that at the end of the day, like I said, we will lock arms, meet Jesus together. We are going to the same place. And hear me, a woman, as she is called to live out the, the calling that God has put before her, will, can, and should, by God's grace, receive the same amount of war, reward, can reach the same amount of capacity in, in, their, in her reward as a man can in his. Even though in this life, we see that a husband is to be the head of a wife. They are equal in their destiny. And when I say destiny, I don't mean some frou-frou thing. I mean quite literally eternal place of dwelling. Okay? Now, with that being said, here's the first one. There's the, the, I'm bringing this to the text. Here's the second one. Men and women are equal. But here's this, the, the second assumption that I bring to the text. Men and women are not the same. So as much as we are equal, let me hear. It. This is important because there's terms: complementarianism, egalitarianism. Let me tell you, bringing interpretation method. What I'm bringing to the table here is for you to understand that men and women are not to sing in unison. We are to sing in harmony. And when we try to sing in unison, when we try to say a woman can do what a man can do and a man can do what a woman can do, we are pushing against the creative order. One of the um, coolest things that I think I learned in the in the Bible uh, this year is the order of Genesis and how it plays this out. So rooting ourselves in Genesis, as you read Genesis one, what you're going to find is a pattern of opposites—not betterness, but opposites. Here, here's the list. Listen to this: there is light. And darkness. There is the heavens and the earth. There is water and then there's dry ground or land. There is day and then night, and then there is man and there is woman. So no one's looking at land going, stupid land, you'll never be as good as the water. <laughs> they they are not the same though. By by definition, when there is a pool of water on the land, we're going, that's water. And when there's no water, we're going, that's land. They are opposite. They are equally needed. They are both beautiful. But they are not the same. They are not the same. And as much as I want to continue to, I I mean, there's so much things that we can trail off with areas of homosexuality, transgenderism. Let me just say this real quick. I'm going to punt all of that stuff to September 9th. Um, Because on September 9th, uh, we're doing a class very specifically on that conversation. Hookup culture, transgenderism, uh, homosexuality. Richard Claus is going to be teaching it. You can go on our website. It's on the front page, on the front scrolling deal. You can sign up for that class. It's going to be during... first service or second service, one of the services. It's going to be during the the services. And I just, if you have questions about what I mean by that, as far as breaking down how we are different and God has designed us differently, I'll let Richard answer all those questions. He's probably better at it and he can get the emails if he wants. Um, So just know that though it is. But J.H. Yoder says this, and I think it's helpful. We are, uh, there is equality of worth and not identity of role. Okay. So my assumptions coming to the text is what is called a complementarian view. It's what we would hold within redemption. It is the idea that men and women are equal, but we are not the same. This is equal, but not the same. The fancy theological term is ontological equality and economic subordination. Huh? That's what seminary gets you. Um, We are equal, but we are not the same. And that's the assumption that I'm bringing. So, to our text, um, here's what we're going to do. I want to look um, at what this text is sandwiched between, okay? So I want to look after the text and before the text. Now, here's why this is important. Um, At Redemption Church, we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, if you knew. Here's why this is important. We could, on a Sunday, take five weeks and tell you five ways to have a better marriage. Here is the problem that we can see with that method. Is you can take certain texts and you can make them say things completely out of the context. And so what you don't get is when you get five ways to a better marriage is the definition of better. You, you, are, you are saying things that may be true, but why you define them as better is completely removed from the context. And for us to understand in this context, everything that Paul, Paul's going to lay out in Ephesians 5 about husbands and wives is revolutionary. If we were to teach this text in um, the Middle East, certain parts of the Middle East today, even though we in our culture, Western society, can see this text as oppressive and conservative, they would see it specifically what's said to the husbands and go, that's insane. Are you crazy? That's so liberal. So regardless of where you are, we, ought, we need to understand the context. So let's start with after the text. This, these are uh, uh, the words that are going to be said after the text. I want to read verse 31. Um, we're going to only go to the end of 24. Uh, John Demeter, an elder here, he's going to pick it up in verse 25 next week, but we're both using the back half of the symbolism as um, a point of reference for us to explain husbands and wives. And so the back half, after our text is read and talked about husbands, it says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husbands, goes back and, and uh, um, explains that. So here is um, what I need you to see. Um, what we get in marriage, the back half of our text, what we get in marriage is we're told that marriage is a signpost. It's a shadow. It, it's a, if you're married, you're like in a live action mission movie. People are watching and what they're seeing is that is how Jesus loves his people. That's how his people respond back to his love. It's meant to be this beautiful display of something more dense. And what I need you to understand about this is this is not new to the readers of Ephesus, specifically the Jews. The people of God have always seen themselves as a spouse to their husband. Matter of fact, in uh, Isaiah 54, 5, he outright says, your maker is your husband. You read the book of Hosea, Ezekiel 16. You're just reminded over and over and over again that God is going, you're my bride, you're my bride. And the fulfillment of what that is, is the church and Jesus Christ. That's always been true contextually of what the Jews would have seen. So, so for us to understand the back half of this is pointing towards something bigger is a recognition that they would have already assumed that. The second thing that we need to know is what is before this. And this is where if you are new, I catch you up. So we've been in the book of Ephesians since the beginning of the year. And here's how the book of Ephesians breaks down. The first three chapters explain doctrine, beautiful doctrine across-the-board doctrine. The back half chapters of Ephesians tell us how we are to respond to that doctrine. It lays out very simple, practical application. And so husbands and wives um, are now going to be told to do something in light of the beautiful doctrine that we were told in the first three chapters. Well, what we read last week was um, an imperative, a command to be filled with the Spirit, to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. From there, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. We talked about that last week. He gives four ways that you're to be filled with the Spirit. The last way that he gives is verse 21, which is what we did not connect with. We're going to take that last verse, which says this. Okay, let's go back to verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a, this is a way and a response to being filled with the Spirit. That we are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, now he's going to explain what does it mean for mutual submission? What does it mean in the church to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Meaning, we as believers, if you are a believer in this room and you consider redemption period your home, we are to submit each other. You're in a community with someone, and man, you feel like you disagree, but man, they're, they're, they're saying, hey, I see this. In love, we hear what they're saying. Out of reverence for Christ, we submit to one another. But now we have all these other relationships. And so what Paul does is, he says, let me explain what it means. Let me give you order to how you submit to one another. And then he goes, husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves to their masters, which, trust me, we'll explain all that. We'll get there. So I need you to understand, the context before is going, hey, here it is. Now, here's why this is important. If we root our theology in creation again, what we see is the first thing that sin does is causes dissonance between you and I, specifically between the sexes. Right away when sin enters, the man is blaming the woman. And I would argue um, it's because of that sin, blaming his problems, his um, not stepping up as a leader, him doing it wrong. This is where you get things of insecurity and spousal abuse, domestic violence, taking verses like this and using it as domineering, womanizing. This is how we get Me Too culture. Honestly, it's because we find ourselves rooted in sin. And what Jesus is doing out of reverence to Christ is what we're told. We're learning to submit to one another. And so wives are to submit to their husbands. It's awesome. It's awesome. So with all that said, we finally get to our text Um, in light of verse Um, 21. um, I'm going to read this. And here's what I want to say as we read this. Um, This text is meant to be read communally. Just so you know, when we're submitting to one another, that was also not new to our culture or to their culture. We have a very hyper individualism. So you think you can do the Christian thing on your own. This text will only make sense when it goes off the rails. It can only be brought back onto the rails. If you are in community, it's meant to be read in plurality, in a community, in a church. It will not make sense, and it cannot be performed outside of that. Okay? Verse 22. Here we go. Wives, submit to your own husband; husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So... Um, what we have is the word, what submit verse 22, um, head of the wife, uh, again, in verse 24, twice in 24 The word submit. And this is obviously going to be the key to us understanding what this text is saying. Um, so here's what I want to say is pretty interesting about this from the jump. Here's, here's what's crazy. Exegetical work for you. Look at verse 22. It says wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Here's what's interesting about verse 22. The word submit is not in the original Greek. It quite literally should read, wives to your husbands. I'm not joking. That is what it is. Now, the reason it does that is because it is, here's why context is important. It is tagging itself, tethering itself to 21. The assumption is, as you submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, then it could quite literally read, wives to your husbands, explains that. Children to your parents, explains that. Slaves to your masters, explains that. So what you have is this divine order, literally in Greek to come under in order, that God has created an order to say, here's how you could submit to one another. Wives, I want you to submit to your husbands. Children, I want you to submit to your parents. Uh, slaves, I want you to submit to your masters. I'll start using language that we're going to use in a couple weeks. But employees, submit to your workers. Now, what we have to see in all of this is submitting is different in all of these relationships. Though that verb is ex- uh, assumed in the text, I mean, listen, we're not saying wives submit to their husbands in the same way that children should submit to their parents. Matter of fact, this same wordage is used in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, maybe it's 2 Peter chapter 3. But when it's used, it's in juxtaposition or at least tailing off of um, uh, humans or us as a church submitting to government. But we would say in marriage, man, wives shouldn't submit to their husbands in the same way we would submit to government. This needs to be explained. It needs to be understood. But more than anything, I need you to hear this order. The purpose of this is this is a God-given order, and here is the order. If you are a wife in this room, the God-given divine order of us submitting to one another is you submitting to your husband. That is the order. And because of that, we don't just believe it's true. We believe it's beautiful. We believe it's beautiful. Because when done well, hopefully people will look and go, that's how the people of Christ submit to Christ. That's beautiful. So uh, obviously this is going to require a, a bunch of questions. And the first one might be, um, well, then why is it wives submitting to their husbands? Why not husbands to their wives? Honestly, I think it's a fair question. Um, so again, rooting in creation. Let me just give you quick three reasons why I think um, Paul lays this out. Outside of just going a command, it says what it is. I think Paul's basing his argument in a fuller scope of scripture. So the first thing you can probably notice is as you read the creation accounts, man is created first. Yes, from that point, man has always come from women, but the first woman came from man. And I don't think that's um, just, like, frivolous. I don't think it's something we need to throw away. Because in the culture that we understand, specifically within Eastern culture, even sometimes today, the firstborn is the one who would hold the authority if the father was removed. He gets the blessing. And Adam is in this authority figure as the firstborn. God creates him First. Number two, what we find is that God, in uh, I believe it's verse 16 of chapter 2 in in Genesis, God gives Adam the mandate to um, lead his family. This is important before Eve is ever on the scene. That God gives Adam the command. So much so, this is the third thing, that when everything goes like a rye. The, I mean, just it just goes all bad in Genesis 3. God immediately goes to Adam. He goes to Adam. Listen, listen to this. I think this is important. In verse um, 11, it says this. Uh, we'll start in verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, that's specifically talking to Adam, called to the man and said, where are you? And uh, uh, Adam, where are you? Verse 11 uh, goes on to say this. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which... I, and this is important, the language is very specific to Adam. I commanded you not to eat. Now make no mistake, Eve and women are held responsible. But it seems the divine creative order is that God has put man, males, husbands, in the authority over, we'll use the language of Ephesians 5, the head over the wife. That's in the text. And I get there are a million things that can come along with the baggage of that. So let me just explain a little bit of what is important to be understood um, when we hear the word submit. And this is not where I like, give you all the reasons of what it's not. But there are some things that we need to clarify. Because there are some of you who are coming in the room who had parents who had dad use this verse to just and beat the crap out of your mom. And that's just a true story. That's not like for emotional effect. That's real deal stuff. Who used her, abused her, thumbed her down, domineered her, all in the name of wives, submit to your husbands. Now, my job is not to break down husbands, but let me tell you, John isn't gonna let that pass next week. That's not okay. So, just uh, two things, and if I can, maybe three things of what is important when we hear the word submit for the people of Ephesus, what they would know and understand. The first thing is this. Submission is always contingent on obedience to God. Now you may think that's duh, but let me be clear. I don't think Sapphira should have submitted to Ananias. She's dead. She was struck down, went bad for her. They, they come together, they join together, and they agree to lie to the Holy Spirit. And so there is, this is really important, um, there is a line to which may be obvious at times and sometimes not. And we'll get there in a second. That when your husband asks you, asks you to do something that is different than the word of God, hear me, at that point you are not to submit. Submission is always contingent, always contingent on the authority of God. Always. I mean, there's, I wrote down like 15 different stories in the Old Testament that we actually see how this plays out. Number two, this is um, also important as well. Um, submission is not mindless doormatness. I'm using a lot of nisses today. It's, it's, not, it's not something that we can say, um, because you submit, you don't ask any questions. And let me, let me just uh, very quickly uh, prove this to you. What we find is in most of the prophets in the Old Testament, they hear the word of the Lord and they struggle with what God is saying and they push back. This is even Moses pleading to God, Abraham pleading to God on behalf of people going, wait, God, hold on. Now, in the end, they submit, they trust I mean, even in certain situations, God hears them out and they work through this, but submitting is not mindless, never asking questions. That's not proper submission. Even for Jesus, what we see in the garden is, God, I don't know if I want to do this, but not my will, your will be done. In a stressful, compact uh, situation, he pleads out, God, please hear me, but not my will, your will be done. Submission is not just being mindless. Thirdly, submission is not based on ability. Husbands are not um, the head of their wife and to be authority of their wife. And wives are to submit to their husbands because husbands are smarter and, and, and wives are dumber. That's not what that is. It's not ability. But rather, it's a recognition of order. It's a recognition that God has given us a divine order, and he has created um, a husband in this moment to place him in that authority over the wife. So, of course, this leads to a big question. And we've got to get practical here, right? Because here's um, the question. I always do this. I always end up hitting my watch so I can never use it, but don't worry. I've got the time there. Um, so what do you do if you are a wife And your husband is making or asking or leading your family in a direction that is not um, as black and white as going, well, it's against the Lord. I mean, we've established, right? If it is against the authority of scripture, then it is a clear no. The problem is 95% of the situations I'm running into, and my guess is Jim and the other elders are running into, it's not as clean as just going, oh, yeah, no, that's uh, Ezekiel 14. It's just not that easy. There are moments where the husband goes, I want to go to a different church. And this church is not something that, that is good for their souls. It's not good for their kids. It's, or or um, I don't want to go to community. And that's not good for their souls. It's not good for their kids. It's not good for their family. And there's a moment where he's leading in foolishness. Now, and it's not as clear. So there are three answers I want to give to this because this is so tricky to navigate. And it's such an individual basis, recognizing the hurt and the pain that is in the room for people who have been just women who have been abused because of this text. I I want to teach what it is, though. And so here's what I would say to you. Um, I don't know your heart. I don't. And it's a real tricky line When we begin to try to find things, even in the Bible, because we can almost make the Bible say whatever we want sometimes, even in the Bible to do what you want to do. So let me start with this. You know your heart. Is in this moment pride coming from you? Now, the second thing, the second answer that I would give to this is... Well, let me give a definition. How about that? Instead of just going through these. Let me do my best to give you what a proper definition of what submission is. And maybe that will help you flesh out what this looks like in moments where you feel like the husband is foolishly leading his family. This is not my definition. Can you put the definition of submission? Oh, there we go. Um, This is not my definition of submission. This is no one's definition of submission. I took five different commentaries that I've been using. I've read as much as I can, did as much homework, heard. I mean, I listened to, I think, 14 sermons this week. On this passage, trying to understand where people are coming from and how we got at, and this is a mishmash of all of the information people that said certain parts of the uh, uh, definition of submission, and a lot of times submission wasn 't even defined; it was just told what it 's not. so I want to give what I believe for you as wives to walk out of here a clear definition of submission. This is how we would define submission submission is an inclination of the will to say yes to the husband's leadership and a disposition of the spirit to support his initiatives. And therefore, in action is a humble recognition of the divine ordering of society. Let me break that down. It's a lot of language, but that is like every word was meticulously chosen. Submission is an inclination of the will to say yes to the husband's leadership. Start there. Stop real quick. Okay? So let's just start with your heart, wives. Is the posture of your heart to go, yes, I trust you, yes, lead? Or are you looking for moments to say no? Is the inclination of your will to say no, to push back, well, he ain't going to tell me what to do. Is that your inclination? That would not be submission. It's an inclination of the will to say yes to the husband's leadership and a disposition of the spirit to support his initiatives. Disposition of the spirit is your starting place is always I am where you are. You're going to lead us well. I trust you. I'm going. And there's moments where it's like, man, I, I don't feel like this is here. I don't feel like this is the right way. I don't feel like I understand. You're not a doormat. You speak up. You, you, you speak your peace on it. You explain, this is the way I'm seeing it. And John hopefully will break down next week how that order is supposed to go in that moment, what husbands are supposed to do in response of that. But you and the, your wife, your starting place is one that you are to, you're looking at the, the, um, the husband's leadership and your disposition of the spirit to support his initiatives. And therefore... When you put that in action, what is submission doing? What is submission? You're recognizing the divine order. It's a humble recognition of the divine ordering of society. That God has orchestrated society to not be wives domineering of their husbands. Can I say something real quick? Um, Man, I know the baggage in the room is one to say, but man, this has been used and abused. I get it. Can I just... I dare say prophetically put in front of you. That's not where the pendulum's swing in though. In our society, the pendulum is swinging the other way. And, and, and just to be frank with you, like it's hard to even Candace and I watch a show. There are nine relationships in the show and every single one of them, the husband is the bumbling idiot and the wife is the level headed leader. And I would argue that is against the divine order. Things are not in the way that God made them to be. So hear me, wives, submit to your husbands. We'll get to the husband thing next week. Wives, submit to your husbands. What's interesting about the text, though, is in verse 23, though John will break down the husband's role, in verses uh, 25 on to talk about the husband, It never actually describes the husband. The description of the husband is found here. I keep looking at my watch like it's going to do something. Um, I got five minutes with us. So let's do 23 and 24. The, The husband is described here in verse 23. And here's how the husband is described. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, not described, that's the only description. We get the description for the husband. So I get a moment to talk to the husbands, and I'm taking it. Okay? Can I just say this? Hear me. What John will lay out, I, I almost guarantee it, is a kingdom theology of being a husband. That that husbands are to lead out of weakness. I'm gonna let him break all of that down, but let me just say something real quick. You husbands cannot lead out of weakness. If you don't lead. Do you understand? So your your four hour video games, not wrestling with your kids on the floor, making sure your wife's taken care of at night is against the divine order. You can't lead out of weakness if you don't lead. And far too often in our society and here in our church, it's wives dominating, wives leadership. And sometimes it is on her. Sometimes the propensity of her heart is to push back naturally. But I see a lot of times where the husband is not leading out of strong weakness. Their weak weakness it's boy weakness. It's not wanting to step up and lead. Listen to the intensity of this, right? Uh, this is crazy. For the husband is the head of the wife, right? Is himself its savior. Now, don't think just eternal security when you think savior. Think um, you're the shield. You're the preserver. That is your role. What I find crazy about this is here's the example of Jesus, the perfect man. And here he is constantly submitting to the Father over and over and over again. I only go where you go. Tell me to go. I only say what you tell me to say. He then goes to the cross like a lamb. I mean, lambs are like weak. They're not fighting back. They're weak, excuse me. And so as they, 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 we see the life of Jesus, it's this, like, this submission, and we see him going to the cross. And you know what people are most amazed about? This, this, this man who takes on weakness more, I think it's like 98% of the times what people are amazed about in the life of Jesus is his authority. To assume that you do not have to take on that authority or you cannot take on that authority as a weak, strong man, you are pushing against the divine order. Christ has called you to be the head of, over your wife. Stop playing games and lead your family. Thank you. Was that Gabe? Thanks, brother. Now, lastly, I want to come back to the wives because that's what verse 24 ends up doing. But before I do, I want to say this word from John Piper on this uh, note for husbands. It says this, When a man senses a primary God-given responsibility for the spiritual life of the family, gathering the family for devotions, taking them to church, calling for prayer at meals, when he senses a primary God-given responsibility for the discipline and education of the children— the stewardship of money, the provision of food and the safety of the home, the healing of discord, the special sense of responsibility is not authoritarian, Authoritarian. it's not uh, um, autocratic, it's not domineering or bossy or oppressive or abusive. It is simply servant leadership. And I have never met a wife who is sorry she's married to a man like that because when God's design is, uh, sorry, but uh, because when God designs a thing like marriage, he designs it for his glory and our good. You hearing that? There's a beautiful order to this. So verse 24, and this is where we finish with our two minutes left. Yes. Verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Feels like it's saying the same thing, it's just backwards, right? The word is in everything that took out this passage, and I think is the only thing that hasn't been explained in understanding what this looks like. And explaining that you're not a doormat and you can press in, all those things are true, right? So let me give you an example in our own household. So I am the primary disciplinarian in our house. Not to say Candace doesn't discipline, but predominantly um, when the kids are not misbehaving and Candace says something, sometimes they feel like they can ignore. But when Candace says, I'm going to tell daddy, some of them start to cry. (laughs) And hear me, hear me, I'm good with that. Okay. There is a healthy fear that, that I haven't hear me. I, I would argue not right now. I would argue husbands, you need to be the primary discipline disciplinarian in your household, but that's another topic. But, um, I am also human and I fail a lot. And so in the areas of discipline, Candace and I have argued a ton because she did not want to, and does not want to spank, spank the kids, but I'm just like looking for opportunities to like throw them through a wall. Okay. So, 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 so hear me, my propensity in my sinful nature is to do how I was raised, and that's belittle, that's degrade. And so what I do is like, I, I, in, in my sinful moments, I make them feel small. And what Candace does is she sees how I'm leading in the area of authority and discipline, and she has many times come to me and says, man, it feels like he thinks you don't love him. It seems like you, you talk to him, and I just I know how I felt when I was a kid, when my dad talked to me like that, and, and this is how I felt. And she, and she, in a very loving way, she helps me, and, and I dare say corrects me. She's not being, I mean, if you know Candace, she is definitely not being wily. Like, that's not her. But, but she helps me see this. And in that moment, like even six months ago, I told my kid, guys, I'm sorry. One of the things I want to remove is pointing. I point at them, and it makes me like you, 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 and I don't like that. And so I removed that. That was because Candace helped me. But Candace was still submitting in everything. So this is what I want to say, because there's a certain type of person that hasn't been addressed yet. And in love, I want to say this is, I think, uh, as clear as I can. To the woman who is the feminist. To the woman who is, hears this, calls themselves a believer, and goes, yeah, but... Maybe you're not married yet. Maybe you are married. I don't know what it is. I read verse 24 in hopes that you would hear. Now the church submits to Christ. So why should submit in everything to their husbands? Not as a dirty word, but to understand that Christ submitted to the father and it was beautiful. And so hear me when I say this, please, please don't get caught up in the culture. They're going to tell you, Everything that's being laid out is not what it is. They're going to tell you you're wrong. They're going to tell you this philosophy and way of life is counter to what brings joy and happiness. Hear me, don't get caught in that. Now, I'd give you a recommendation. There's an article called The Feminism We Don't Need by Rachel Schultz. Um, I think it's a great article. It's on the Gospel Coalition. I want to read to you, before I pray, I want to read to you what she says. At the end of this article, it's a longer quote, but I think it's worth reading. To those of you who are wives, who who tend to push against this command, because I think that's fair. I think there's some of you, it's your natural inclination, and you're still processing that. And I want to give you room to allow that to breathe. This is what it says. Christians who help women in hard places or celebrate the many noble and inspiring things women have accomplished might be tempted to identify as a feminist. But should that be called feminism? Let's call it being a Christian. If you are rightly sympathetic to a real problems women face, go ahead and love your female neighbor as yourself. But don't allow all kinds of wrong thinking to sneak in the back door. If I could rewrite the feminist narrative, it would be this. We are equal in value and dignity before God. We should, along with men, have a spirit of submission before God. We cannot and should not do everything men do, and we are not the same as men. I reject that to support real things, to help women means I must embrace abortion on demand and deny any biblical uh, sanctioned submission. Christians should be on the front lines of those who champion valuing and protecting women. We do not, however, overlap with the current feminist mantra that is good to be a real woman all you have to do is well nothing because God ha, uh, because God made you one or he did not I love being a woman but even more than I am a female I am in Christ let's pray Father, thanks so much for your word. Thanks for who you are, your goodness and grace towards us. Thank you that a passage like this um, to many may feel or sound oppressive, but to you it is a divine order and it will bring us joy. And so my prayer would be we would believe you. We would hear your word and we would believe you. I also pray against um, Any misuse of this text, I pray that the women who have been battered and abused both physically and emotionally because of this text, I pray that demonic spirit, that heinous act would be called out, that it would be seen for what it is, and that everything that John lays out next week would be the spirit of the husband to understand why the beautiful divine order is for wives to submit to them. God, help us in that. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.